0: Welcome, everybody, to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca.
1: And I'm Landon, and we're really excited about our guests today.
0: We absolutely are. We have the incredible Rod and Nan Osborne with us, who were so kind to come on the program this morning. Good morning, Rod and Nan. How are you? Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Landon. We're great. Thanks. We're doing well. Happy to yeah. be here. Oh, and this is a Saturday morning early. So, boy, everybody's a trooper for getting up. I'll you. <laughs> Rod and Nan are just an amazing couple that kind of came on the radar when a documentary called Mormon No More dropped on Hulu in the spring. And we will put some links to this in the, in the show notes in case you guys have not had a chance to see this. And this documentary kind of followed the story of several people. They're different stories. Um, As they gravitated away from Mormonism and one of the very intriguing stories um, in this documentary was the story of two Mormon women who left their marriages found each other and were married and living their life and it talked about um, the ripple effect from that it talked about their families and how people that their family members that were in the church were adjusting and just kind of that dynamic. And so the reason I say breakout star is because Rod and Nan were the parents of Sal. And I think all of us, would you agree, Landon, who watched this sort of said, now they're very interesting. And maybe it's because we related, you know, to being a parent, uh, maybe of similar ages. But I think a lot of people said, oh, those are the parents that every post Mormon wants. <laughs> so, so we were so happy to have them joining us here today to talk about their story and their journey and what they're doing now. So, welcome again. We're just thrilled to have you guys. Thanks,
2: Rebecca.
3: We're glad to be here. Thanks for asking us here. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah,
1: and you and you guys are you guys are heroes of mine because as we watch the show, um, you know, uh, you were the ones who I really related to because having left the church, and then having children of our own uh, who, who were some in, some out, it was uh, it, it was fun to watch you guys and say, wow, there's, there's a perfect example of, of parents and, and how, how you can deal with this. Uh, and so that, that's why we were just going, yay, yeah, go in there
2: and go in there. <laughs> I don't know about perfect example. We could ask yeah. our kids. It took us a while to get here.
3: Definitely weren't perfect.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone is, but you certainly handled it well, and and it, it was a, especially with the documentary, you do have the, uh, it's a, it's an edited version of how you did it, so you've always got that going for you, but it, it certainly set an example of where you went. Wow, there's, there's parents who, who could accept what, what was happening with their, you know, with their children. So I, I just loved watching it, and we just fell in love with you guys as we watched the journey you were going through because it's a journey many of us have also been on. So. I really enjoyed it. But with this being Valentine's month and we're, we're looking at uh, telling kind of stories of, of couples and of love, why don't we start out by you guys telling us how you met? <laughs> Go for it. You want me to? Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> okay. Um, I was a recently returned missionary. I've been home maybe eight months. Uh, and I, uh, I dated a few girls and, uh, I had a, a good buddy. I was visiting one night. I can still remember being in his little, little place. Um, and I was talking about, uh, we were talking about dating and he said, Hey, I have the girl for you. And, uh, so I will backtrack on. Well, after that, he he gave me your name. He told me who she was. And I said, okay, I'll go check it out. So, um, Actually, I went to an LDS Institute. He had an LDS Institute class with Nan's mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's they unusual. That. Yeah. And um, and this is, this, is, this is what Nan has told me before. Um, there was a boy in that class uh, that her mother really liked and thought that Nan should meet him. Ah. And uh, um, so Nan came to class one day, even though she wasn't in the class. She came to class to meet the kid and the kid didn't show up. And my buddy who was, you know, who was sitting close uh, and Nan and her mom were talking about it. He said, hey, I got a guy you can meet if you're that desperate. And uh, so sure enough, I went and met and, and met her at the institute class. Um, because my buddy said, Hey, she's cute, and uh, you know, the rest is history. So,
0: (laughs) oh my god, that's a love story for the ages. The other guy, you snooze, you lose. I'm sorry, there you go. (laughs) Never did meet him. Yeah,
1: return missionary. So, you were married two months later.
3: (laughs) Um, yeah, it was close, it was a year. Yeah. <laughs> here. yeah she was uh she was getting chased pretty hard so it, it took her a while to warm up to me so
2: well and i was only when we met i was only 18 when we got married i was 19 when we had our first baby i was 20 so uh yeah, yeah we didn't we we weren't slow about any of it
0: yeah you got to get on that track and you got to go and were you guys in california at the time i guess we should have talked about it. you weren't you met somewhere else
3: we're in utah
0: you're in Utah. This You're all remember. happened in Utah. Oh, yeah, and at, I was at the
3: Weber State that. Institute because oh. Oh. we both went to Weber State.
0: Oh, OK. For yeah. some reason, yeah. I was the California connection. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And from your point
2: of view, Nan,
0: uh, how did that all happen? There's always it's a he said, she said, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> um, the only part that Rod left out was before he came to Institute to meet me, he came and not came to my house. Just out of the blue, I guess my mom had given his friend our address and he came to our house and I was out on a date with somebody else and my dad answered the door. So when I got home from my date at midnight, my dad said, a boy came looking for you tonight. And I said, really, you know, tell me. And he told me, I said, what did he look like? He said, he made that boy you were out with tonight look like a mud fence post. And (laughs) the boy I was out with was really cute. So I said, okay, this sounds good. And my dad said, I don't know, but I think this could be the big one. And she said that right away.
3: Yeah. Before you even met him then. Obviously, a lot of change, a lot of change um,
0: for all of us. Yeah. So yeah. you met that you met Nance. You met the father-in-law before you actually met the bride to be. The, uh, I did. Yeah. And
3: I can't, <laughs> I still to this day, can't believe I had the uh, courage. Yeah. Podcast Um, to just go to her house. But, you know, I was
0: yeah. I was
3: used to just knocking on doors.
0: Talking, <laughs> I was just going to say that. you can been in that environment wow. now you're like okay now i need the the most important convert of my life i've got to oh, convert yeah. my you know girl to be yeah. my wife so oh my gosh that yeah.
3: a- now where That's did, where did you place. go on your mission rod i went to the texas dallas mission okay and i uh you know in those days texas dallas mission went from louisiana to oklahoma to new mexico and it was we just knocked on doors all day long all day long yeah and uh you know, so knocking on another door and well, I, I was anxious to knock on this door. <laughs> <laughs> Finally had a real reason. Right? I did. That's
0: right. You oh, know. that is so funny. So it makes me think Nan, that if your dad had said, oh, just another guy, you know, maybe it never would have happened. But your dad was very, instrumental. Wow. that's such a great wow. story. And then does wow. that mean, Rod, that at Institute, you met her mom at the same time that you met her?
3: I, I did. Yeah. Uh huh.
0: Oh, you got that out of the way quick, meeting the parents, you know, that's always a big issue up front. Yeah, I think,
3: I think her dad was uh, uh, a little more on, in my, in my court than, uh, than mom was, (laughs) though. Did she still have her
0: sights set on the other boy in Institute that she
3: was (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what she had. I I
2: think she was worried we were, I was so young. Oh, Uh, yeah. I can understand that, Yeah.
3: yeah. Yep. Totally. That's oh, yeah. what everyone's uh, doing. I'm five years older.
2: Yeah. Oh, so okay. there's an age. HD- oh, so my mom knew he'd be in a hurry, kind of, and joked yeah. okay. about that. I see yeah. what you're saying. So, oh,
1: so Rod went from from knocking on doors to knocking indoors. Uh, <laughs> after you got married, you went on to an interesting career uh with the FBI, right? I did. I did 26 years as
3: a special agent. So well, how
1: how did that come about from, uh, you know, when when you said that you went, I asked why you went on your mission, because I thought maybe you had a language skill or something like that, that uh, uh, got you there. Were you just in the law enforcement at Weber
3: State or what led you into the FBI from there? No. Um, uh, Nan and I were married. Uh, I was going, we were going to Weber State. I was going to Weber. Well, we both were. Uh, Nan is a registered nurse. She went to the nursing program there oh. and she, she got out of that program quicker than I did. So she, she started to work and I was still going to school and, uh, toward the end of, uh, of my, uh, schooling there at Weber state an FBI agent came to a career day. And, uh, I just thought it sounded fun and, uh, (laughs) and it was, and well it sounded fun. I went, I graduated, uh, in finance and then I, uh, I went straight into grad school after that, uh, in those days, uh, Utah state had a, an extension program for an MBA at Weber. So I was working full time for the Utah state tax commission. And then, um, I was going to school at the same time. And, uh, I went through the process of applying for the FBI at the time. And, uh, Shortly before I, I graduated with my uh, my advanced degree, I got uh, a call from the bureau, and they said, "Hey, you're in." And so, um, yeah. So,
2: so we. I was twenty nine,
3: I guess, at yeah. the time. Wow. Um, when I when I got into the bureau, I, I had worked at the tax commission for three plus years um yeah I was 25 when we got married she was 19 Mm -hmm. so it's actually five and a half years so so
1: so were you more into the finance side of the FBI like investigating financial stuff or were
3: you uh straight up a law enforcement type yeah um no I, I did plenty of white collar crime you know on the finance side um but uh I went in in those days and I I I believe they still have the program. It's called a diversified program where you can have, as long as you have a college degree, um, and they like you, uh, you have, you know, you have what they want in an agent. Then, uh, you know, there's, there's one of five programs you can go into. And mine was the diversified program. The other ones, you know, are law, science, accounting, and language. And I didn't have any of those other ones. Um, so that's how I got in. And, um, no, I I investigated uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, drugs, um, organized crime, and that was that's how I started out in organized crime back in the you know this was in the eighties. This was in the days when you know organized crime was still very entrenched in the United States, and it was a very sexy thing to be in in the FBI. It was the the lead program uh, in the FBI in those days, and uh, yeah, I went from there and. And then I did public corruption. I in that was in uh, in when we lived in Houston. We we moved, we moved around quite a bit in uh, in my in my bureau career. Uh, and then uh, finally, I did a lot of uh, counterintelligence work. Uh, at you know the last third of my career, I did uh, counterintelligence work, and that's that's a whole other story. Uh, the bureau sent me to a language school and I learned uh, to speak Mandarin Chinese. And so there's a whole nother story there.
2: That um, is a whole other story. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And <laughs> he was on the SWAT team for several years, actually bashing indoors. <laughs> uh, so knocking doors, bashing indoors. Bashing oh, doors.
0: I see the connection now. Yeah. OK. Oh, my God. And,
2: and
3: the bashing indoors part is uh, I was actually a breacher. In other words, you have a you have a tool that you. You know, that you, the break, you break the door with. So
2: yeah.
3: um that wasn't that wasn't figurative. That was <laughs> That was literal. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, sounds like we have a whole nother episode just, I was just
0: gonna say
2: we may make it the FBI. That, that know, there's gonna be gonna, a lot of uh, stories there. <laughs>
0: yeah, <we need laughs> a lot. it's
2: great. So wow. I, I so, was in the
1: military and I know that moving around, I i I, I kind of asked that question because I know from the from the movie that you guys moved around a lot and the church definitely has a big impact in your life when you do move around a lot. Um, you wanna talk a little bit about how the church you know, played into your life, especially with with the moving and the different things that you did.
2: Sure. Um, we've lived in 10 different states and three times overseas. So that's a lot of moving. Um, a couple of places we stayed five years, usually less than that by a ways, and we have five kids. So they were raised all over the place. Our two youngest were raised in Beijing, China, and that's where they would consider home. That's where, you know, they went to elementary school and up into middle school. Um, And you're right, Landon, having the church made it so much easier because you walk in the door with all your kids and all of us felt at home on day one. Um, we, you know, the songs sound the same, the building looks similar, everybody greets you, you go into the same primary class, you start the lesson right after the last lesson you had in the last place. So it's it, it really did benefit us so much, especially our kids. Um, yeah, and they got really good at making friends quick. And uh, when we moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, We walked in the first, we walked in and it was fast day and our 14 year old son just walked straight up there. And he was the first one up there and said, we're the Osborns. We're here. We like to make friends. Here's what we like to do. We're glad to be here. You know, so it, it, the church really did make a difference. It would have been much harder to do it without the church.
3: Yeah. That's one of the, you know, in my opinion, one of the, the great, advantages you have as a Latter-day Saint is the instant community wherever you go. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's, that's, uh, that's another thing that, you know, we'll talk about later, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, was there a place where you eventually kind of just settled or it really was everywhere?
2: Yeah, no, everywhere. we have, we have no home base. We, we have, have no have home base. The kids, The kids don't see one spot as oh this is where we all should try to move back to not any of that Um, we liked all the places we lived there was you know good and not so good about everywhere and uh so a couple of our kids live in southern california and everybody's decided that's where we should meet when we all gather um and so that's what we do yeah yeah
3: yeah
1: yeah, I I know that, that 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 it really entrenches you with the church when you do move like that because it is kind of the family that you have, especially when you're not in your hometown. Everywhere you go, the church kind of becomes your family. So that certainly entrenches you. So tell us a little bit about the journey out then after after that. You know, you've you've been living this life where you're constantly involved in the church it's a very big part of your life and then something in your life happened that started to make you question all of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay uh, look, Landon I, I'd like to mention one other thing uh, you mentioned you're from a, you were in the military uh, what branch were you in? I was in the army. Oh okay my dad, I grew up with uh, an Air Force dad. So my dad was a career Air Force guy. And uh, we, you know, I've, I've moved around forever and we weren't Mormons. I, I failed to mention that I was, I joined the church my senior year in high school and I ended up going on a mission at age 21 and then got back, you know, at age 23 and a half or so. That's so, why you were older than. That's I'm why old. I was older. Yeah. yeah um, but anyway, um, uh, the, the journey out um, where do we start? Yes. Uh, I guess I can, yes. yeah, I guess I can start. Cause I, I think I, I probably started the journey out. Well, I know I started my journey out before Nan started her journey out. We have a son, uh, who's a return missionary. All of our boys, we have four boys. They all went on missions. Um, and, and they all learned a language, um, And which is, you know, an advantage, one of the great advantages of being a missionary, if you if you can't go learn a language. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, our number two son. uh, One day in about 2016 or so, called and said, hey, I just want to let you guys know he did in a very loving way uh, that uh, he was transitioning out of the church and. um, He. He just basically said, I, "I just don't believe anymore. I've got reasons to to not believe," and uh, you know, he he gave a few a few reasons. And uh, um, both of us were very upset about that. It was 2016.
2: I'm yeah. glad there was no documentary going on then. Yeah. <laughs> <A> whole <laughs> <different> story. <laughs> been a different
3: story yeah we were very orthodox um you know i was a convert so i believed everything uh you know i went on a mission pretty soon after and uh you know when when president of the church said something i believed that that's what we were supposed to do and i think i was actually i know i was more orthodox than nan and her dad was in the state presidency and these guys you know they were they were faithful really good mormons and and i think uh i think i made her one of the things I think made her mother nervous was that I was such a scrupulous Mormon at the time, (laughs) uh, you know, when I got home and when I married her. Uh, But, you know, we had family home evening. We had prayer twice a day. We had scripture study, um, you know, and, you know, I have four Eagle Scouts and, you know, Sally was just as faithful as you can get as a, you know, as a, a member of the church. So, anyway, uh, Alex was, uh, married at this time and he, he, uh, he'd had a, a little, uh, one or two little ones and, uh, his wife was still in, uh, she also comes from a very faithful family. And, uh, you know, at the time we were saying, Oh, you know, Alex is, you know, he's ruining an eternal family here. What, you know, what are we going to do about it? And, So for me, it set me on a journey of, okay, I am going to study what I can study so that I can prove him wrong and I can learn stuff and get him back on track. And so I started, uh, I started reading, I started listening to Bill real at the time who had a faithful podcast in 2016, he was still faithful. He was soon on his way out, but, but you know, Bill had had the faithful people on there. And then, um, Laura Harris Hales. I don't know if you know who Laura is, but uh, Brian Hales' wife, she had a podcast uh, and she interviewed uh, Mormon scholars, uh, BYU scholars for the most part. But, uh, you know, they they tackled uh, the controversial topics, you know, in a faithful, as faithful as they could be on those topics. Uh, Laura was, Laura's passed away since. Um, uh, but she was wonderful. Um She's a really good interviewer. So I I loved both of those. And then uh, uh, Nan bought me, uh, as a gift, she bought me the the three-volume set of Leonard Arrington's Diaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, American, of course, was uh, the church historian, the first professional church historian beginning in 1972. Until I think the only professional historian,
0: yes,
2: he's the only one (laughs) so far. since then, yeah. And I did not know what I was buying (laughs) him. Oh, I thought it was great church history and you know, more studying to help our son come back to the iron rod. So, little did I know. And you probably got it at
0: Deseret Book, right? Yeah. <laughs> there it
2: was. Yeah.
3: So
0: of course it's safe. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. And those, those, uh, I just consumed those volumes. They were so interesting to me. Um, and they're, they're really, there's a lot of reading there, but, uh, those, those three volumes had a really big impact on me because Leonard Arrington, uh, was a real man of integrity. You know, he, he was, I think, I think they called it the golden era of, of LDS church history is when he, he opened up the archives to more people, you know, he was, he was a mentor. I don't know if he was a mentor, but he was a really big influence on people like D Michael Quinn. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, who's the guy that wrote, no man knows my history. Not No Man Knows My History. Rough Stone Rolling. Oh, Richard Bushman. Bushman. Richard Bushman, yeah. Um, That name slipped my mind. Um, And a whole generation of really great uh, scholars of the Mormon era and uh, Mormon history. And uh, in those volumes, I learned uh, that, you know, the Quorum of the Twelve is... A group of guys who make decisions like pretty much any other group of guys, Uh, like, you know, pretty much like a board of directors. You know, you have guys that have been there uh, that are the senior guys that have the influence and the new guys are yes men. They just raise their hand and they agree with, you know, whoever's above them. You know, this is not me talking. This is Leonard Arrington. Mm -hmm. You know, he talked about that. He, He talked he talked about how the 1978 revelation came about where uh you know it was it was totally about blacks in the priesthood and he was never consulted on any of the history uh and so you know those guys but he knew that they were they had neil maxwell down there looking for stuff for president kimball at the time but they never included him who could have gone and told him a whole bunch She's doing this to me. Evidently, I'm not
0: going. No, no, we actually, um, um, I mean, this will air later, but the episode of Mormonish we dropped yesterday was it was actually called the political infighting and politics behind the lifting of the priesthood ban, because you're absolutely right. And uh, if you read Arrington, you know all about that. It literally. Yeah.
3: um, But he, uh, you know, he explained that he was pretty much left out of that. Uh, They did it on their own. But but also what was interesting to me was that, uh, you know, he talked about Bruce McConkie, um, being pretty much, he was the only one that talked about how that there were unusual things happening when this revelation occurred. And, um, he's saying, he said it was like the rushing of the mighty winds and it was just like Kirtland, but he would tell that to his family and, and other people. He never said it over the pulpit. Um, but he's the only one who would say anything like that, and I don't know, you know, if you're familiar with uh, President Hinckley's take on that. President Hinckley said, "No, we just all had a good feeling about it." So there was a there was embellishment uh, on the part, you know, in his opinion, there was embellishment on the part of Elder McConkie uh, regarding that whole thing. But um, those volumes gave me real insight into how the church actually works. And from there, I started reading D. Michael Quinn okay. and I read, read Russell Rolling. I read a ton of stuff. Yeah, ton of stuff about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on and on. And uh, you know, it's led me to where I am today.
2: <laughs> okay, let me fill in. Yes. For um, sure. So he, he read all that. And meanwhile, after Alex uh, decided to step away from the church, um, Alex was good friends with Sally's husband at the time. And so they had their own journey and it was only a couple months later, Sally called and said, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving the church, oh, you know? And, uh, and then our oldest son, not too much longer after that. So all three of them went out fast. And it was very hard, very hard. I felt like I'd given my whole life to raising these kids and teaching them the gospel and following all the commandments of how to raise kids so they'll never fall away. And then there they went. And I felt like I just wasted my whole life, you know. Then we have two younger sons who were just getting ready to leave on missions. And um, it was hard for them. The older three were their idols. So I was worried about the young kids. And as they went on a mission, and then the second one went on a mission, the older kids by then were all the way out. Their spouses were out. Everything was done. So when the two younger ones got home, they were just devastated and all of that. And then and then once Rod finished reading every single book on... Well, and that was
3: a period of about five years yeah, because uh-huh. the boys are two and a half years. Yeah. Power.
2: Okay. Once Rod finished reading everything... Uh, It was an interesting time at our house. He started reading the stuff that wasn't sold at Deseret. Then he started reading all of that and listening to John Glenn and the rest. So during that whole five years, all Rod wanted to talk about was what he was reading and what he was hearing. And um, I did a lot of my own studying, but a lot of it, he would just tell me, okay, let me tell you everything I read today. Now, let me tell you, and I'd he'd finally finish and we'd go to bed and it would be 1130 at night and we'd be in bed and he'd say, can I just tell you one more thing? <laughs> and then I'd say, sure. And then there'd be another half an hour. That might've
3: happened twice. So
2: uh, <laughs> anyway, we, it was a lot of studying. Yeah. And um, then when our youngest son, after his mission, he, he decided to step away. Um, by then we started saying, okay, and, and then in the middle of all that, Sally realized she's gay and she came out and that gave us a whole separate, different kind of reason to question. And that led to a lot of questions for me and a lot of concern and discord. And so that's where, and then it finally, and really we only left really at the end of the show when I said at the last episode, I think I'm. think I think I'm stepping out, that was, That That was was May
3: of Last
0: year. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, that was so powerful in the documentary. I mean, that was absolutely uh, riveting. Everyone was just going, Oh my goodness. So, yeah. would you consider that you were in a mixed faith marriage for a period there? Or, Nan, were you just very receptive the whole time and listening? Because Landon can speak to that. He was in a mixed faith marriage for a while where there wasn't necessarily that give and take of sharing of information. I mean, there was, but yeah. it sounds like maybe you were more yeah. receptive. Yeah. Do you consider yourself mixed faith or just kind of working um, we together? We didn't consider
2: ourselves mixed faith because the whole time time rods on the high council giving talks right. every month oh, yeah. i'm doing my calling so he's having all of this you know at home but a double in, life <laughs> yes yes a little bit and we we both i don't know that you'd say a double life because he gave talks about yeah, i i you know, no, i don't yeah
3: i'm sorry to interrupt but um no, that's fine. i don't
2: i don't think little, i think
3: yeah. you know she gave you the brief version um I was still in uh until probably really uh you know a year ago. Yeah. Um because I was I was putting stuff on the shelf. You know, all of this stuff I was still putting stuff on the shelf. I still wanted to believe. Um, you know, my boys uh my especially my younger ones, it was very tender, you know, because they had just come back from their missions and uh you know, uh, our second to last son was still very much in, uh, he, he, he got married and, and he was very much in and, and I was, yeah, I was on the high council. I was giving a talk every month and, and I took those talks really seriously. And I, I, uh, I still wanted to believe as much as I could, but it, it was waning, you know, based on what I was, I was reading and feeling, and, you know, Sally had become a big part of that. And, and, you know, I was saying to myself, how am I doing this if I know that my daughter, you know, if I really believe that my daughter is, you know, evil, effectively, and that she's an apostate, and she will uh, not be with me in the afterlife. Um, you know, I discussed that with the state president C, And, um, you know, the, the answer, of course, was it'll all work out. You know, that's, You know, the problem with that answer for me was, well, that's not what we teach. Uh, You know, you may say that, but that's certainly not what we teach. Um, So Nan was not on board. Uh, Nan was still uh, 100 percent in for, uh, you know, a long time. And she was disturbed by me we would go we would drive down to southern cal to see the kids you know two of our sons and six of our grandkids lived down there at one time and that's a six-hour drive and i'd want to talk all the time or i'd want to listen <laughs> to a podcast that was you know like uh you know lindsey hansen Bark and brian buchanan on lds history podcast um and she wouldn't and she you know she would let me for a little while and then she would get tired of it and say no i don't want to hear anything <laughs> No. So uh uh yeah it was uh it, i don't know if you could call it mixed faith it, it was uh, i was ahead of her
2: yeah kind that's of all thing. That's yeah like i was right, ahead right of her cabin. yeah yeah
3: and uh, it one of the lucky things is it, it, we took off almost a year uh after i retired from my second career with the uh department of energy uh the last 10 years uh, um, after the FBI I, I worked for the, as a contractor of the Department of Energy and then um, we went to China to visit one of our kids and to help take care of grandkids there they worked for the for the State Department there at the embassy or the, the consulate in one of the little towns in China um, and this was during COVID and uh, so we didn't have the only church we had was online and it kind of gave us a break from having to go to church or going to church. And then I think that is when most of Nan's thinking and deciding uh, was taking place because, you know, probably in the middle of all that, I, I just knew that, you know, mm-hmm. I was not convinced anymore.
1: Now, was this before the show or after the show or during the taping of the show
2: they they started uh, recording before we left for china um and i think and then they record they they recorded filmed for an entire year so sally had gopros in her house and in her cars and they were just filming for an entire year and they came up to our house we were living outside of san francisco and they came to our house a few times and stayed for the weekend and filmed us all the time for, for a few days. And then they would call us when, when we left for China, they would videotape FaceTime phone calls with Sally and ask us how, about our faith and all that. So they had so much uh, film of us that they could have used showing us kind of stepping away, having more and more questions. but. You know, it makes it more fun to watch if you just say, "Oh yeah, I'm all in, 100 percent," and then the next thing you know, she's out. So, yeah, yeah.
1: that's what I saw in the show was yes. if you were you were all in, and we were going, "Oh, they're faithful members; they're dealing yeah. with this." It was interesting to see, and then all of a sudden, like the last episode, it's like what?
3: It was like yeah. a bombshell drop. Yeah. She's
2: wearing a dress without sleeves. We know what that means. Yes, yes. <laughs> that dress. Yeah.
3: That I think I it. think for Nan, uh, that's pretty true. Uh, when they first started filming and 100%. Nan was 100 percent in. Yeah. Uh, when they first started. And I and was I was I was in in I was still giving talks and I was you know, I was sincere in the talks that I was giving. Were they
0: nuanced um, slightly? I mean, I can't imagine that you wouldn't have somehow that some of the things that you were learning yes, were filled in. Yes. And I was like, yeah,
3: yeah. I was, you know, I was careful in my talks um, to talk about love and kindness <laughs> and things like that. You know, I, I didn't talk safe about
0: topics. Any, yeah,
3: yeah. It wasn't it wasn't real Mormon specific what I would say, and I, and I did that on purpose because I didn't want to be fake, um, and uh, So that's how I did it. Yeah, I was at the time they started filming. My doubts were starting to overwhelm me and my shelf was breaking. Man was still fully in at the time.
2: I really think that the documentary was one of the key things that helped walk me out, because when you have a film crew, you know, you have eight people. All there filming you and and one of those big microphones that hangs over down (laughs) and sometimes the camera comes up close to you and you're talking about your most vulnerable things of your whole life and your faith and by saying it out loud in front of the camera knowing it could be used to be actually put on on hulu every time i spoke how i felt it was um it it had an impact on me you know when you say stuff out loud in the church we tell people go bear your testimony up at the microphone because that'll just really build your own testimony by sharing it out loud and that's what I did for a whole year is I was talking to that film crew and the producers and saying you know I do have some questions actually and I am worried and I know Sally's the greatest woman ever and of course, she's not any less than than any of us. And how can this be? And all of those things, I would say them. And then I'd go to bed that night and hear my own voice, what I just said that day and say, wow, this is scary. I really am starting to crack. And I think for that, that's one of the reasons I'm happy we did the documentary, is I think it helped me come to terms with what I really knew inside and didn't want to know.
1: It would be really interesting to get that all of those uh feeds and put together a <laughs> documentary on because you've got to have the most documented uh shelf yes. <laughs> experience yes. in the church where people yes. followed like, you for a whole
2: year during that, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that you know, have,
1: would make a great documentary
2: for sure. And I would like to have it just personally, yeah. Um, I, I, we didn't know how it would get edited, we didn't know if they were going to turn the whole thing into a hit piece on the church. or whether it was, I was just going to be the grandma who cried every time they tried to talk to me or whatever. So we were relieved with the way it came out, but I would like that. Um, Sally asked me, Sally and I both got so many people uh, face messaging us saying, how did your mom go from all in to all out in that time? And so I went on Sally's podcast and explained everything so anybody who listens to this if they're interested they can get on Sally
1: put a link to it it, and
2: And tell us the name again
0: of her podcast just so everybody knows what
2: peace out podcast peace out podcast yep and it's a picture of Sally and Lena on the front so yeah excellent absolutely excellent yeah and I
3: think uh I might add here just really quick um they talked to us uh about uh Jeffrey Holland's talk at BYU where he used the musket fire the nice. metaphor and then uh they talked to us also about the Jeff uh the uh, right. Brad Wilcox talk where you know he was he was you know pretty racist and uh um we actually gave commentary on both of those talks and it was uh, you know we were both pretty critical of those but right. that never got into the you know yeah. that got never got onto the the documentary. Yeah.
0: I don't know. God, it so sounds it, like there's just untapped footage out there. So, yeah, <laughs> if uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, their story was great, and um, uh, I, I think they did a great job of editing it. But I think you know, probably with with, I guess that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. You know, you get hours and hours and hours yeah. of footage, and then you may get you know two or three minutes out of those hours. Yes.
1: and, and they, were they were telling sal's story not telling her story yours, not ours yeah.
3: yes it's a great point
0: yeah yeah and that's true it's almost like a spin-off where you have the main characters lena and sal but then you're like who are those characters let's have a spin-off on them because they're extraordinarily interesting and their story resonates with so many people especially like you said parents of a certain age you know with adult children that are making decisions and yes. and you are you're impacted and you worry and so no that that i think just absolutely impact and Touched everybody, and I'm trying to remember. There was the one scene where you decided to wear something—was it a tie pin or a tie—in in support, you know, of the LGBTQ community. And we, everybody, that was, was like, well, what happened with that? And what was the reaction at church? Everybody wanted to know. But it definitely showed an outward symbol of your inward journey. That you're like, this is it. I am now ready to say, look, I'm supporting, and and I'm never going to say I'm not. So yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I think when Sally came out and told us she was gay, it was a much easier adjustment for both of us, well, for me, than when our kids left the church. Um, And so when Sally came out, the way she did it and the way she talked to me was so loving and so concerned for my feelings and all of that. Boy, I was on board minute one and I ordered those, those pride pins right away and we started wearing them to church and wore them every week for the last year we were there yeah mm. pretty much so that was a little easier for me than than when the kids all left the church
3: you know for me um it was pretty much the opposite
2: though
3: <laughs> uh you know nan is nan is nan and, but i am more i'm a, i'm more doctrinal kind of a guy um, You know, when the when the kids were leaving, you know, I still had hope. I'm saying, okay, they're leaving; they could come back. Uh, You know, there's 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 hope for them. But when Sally left, and she said that she was gay, um, to me that was a giant hit uh, because now she's out. You know she was you know she's not going to come back she She is gay and you're not going to change the gay and you know she's not going to marry a guy um so she will be an apostate and she will be that forever you know and uh I mean that's my mindset uh that was my mindset with the church you know very doctrinal um and and the fact that Sally, uh, you know, when, when she came out, it was, it was more difficult for me to handle, um, than it was when the others left the church.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think that's, you know, that's the difference between Nan and me. Um, but we're
2: on the same page now.
3: So, yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I
3: I
1: think you you mentioned the pins, but to me, the 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 big moment was when Nan, uh I think it was a wedding dress and you had the sleeveless dress and my wife was just going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real excited about
2: that. That's oh, the,
1: the symbol for women that yes, i definitely on. I'm going symbol. with yes. those yeah. uh, Such sure. a symbol.
2: And when I when the show came out and I washed it and I realized that dress was nothing. It wasn't some sexy strapless dress. <laughs> All I mean, the whole difference was what maybe two inches, you know. And I, I just oh, those
3: shoulders are, you know.
2: <laughs> and I just could imagine people who weren't LDS watching the show going, "What is the, what is the big deal about this? That dress is just tame, you know." And and but yet every Mormon woman going, oh, "I know exactly how that feels," you know. And um, I bought the dress a couple of months before the wedding, my sister was with me and talked me into it. And it sat in my closet and I kept thinking, I'll find something better, you know, with sleeves. My sister's out of the church. So she talked me into that. But the longer it stayed in my closet, every time I'd open my closet, I just thought, you know, that is where you're headed, man. You might as well face. And it kind of gave me more courage to keep going in that direction. And by the time the wedding came, I it still it still was scary to me because you know how it is, you've worn your garments your whole life. But yeah. anyway, it was a it was a it was a big step for me and um, it was a good place to do it.
1: That's, that's really symbolic. It's almost like that was your coming out of the closet, yes. the dress coming out of the closet. Yes. Is the dress in the your, closet. You know. <laughs>
2: that's good, that's good, because it was definitely.
0: And there was that moment. I think the viewers, anyone who was not LDS, would understand when your son said, "I've never seen your shoulders, Mom." I mean, I think that would tell people who weren't familiar. Oh my goodness! You know, this is a yeah. this is a lifelong of you know control, high demand. They can't even wear the clothes that they want to wear. So I think they understood yeah. it. So was that did and I'm trying to remember from the documentary? Was Sal was worried, wasn't she, about how he would react? She didn't know, or was she? When she when she told you was she oh. I seem to remember that she was concerned about your um, relationship or was she pretty secure and thinking it's going to be okay I'm trying to remember back I should have um remembered.
2: we had a a period of time um when she came out of the church we she was worried about our relationship okay because we were both so all in and we are so alike yes that um she knew this would be a big space in our relationship and i knew that and when she told me she was leaving the church uh uh, we visited them down in southern california and on the six hour drive home to northern california i just cried the whole way and i'm like i don't what are we even going to talk about i'm just going to have to talk about the weather from now on my whole life with my daughter who's my best friend and how's that going to work I just thought for sure, we were never gonna have the same relationship we had before. But- um, you didn't for a long for time. For a little while. Uh huh. It took us a while and we had to work through it. And we, the work came from both sides. I had to to work through my part and how, you know, do my best to bridge that new gap in there. And she did her part. She was patient when I, you know, didn't say the right thing. And I was patient when she did something that I was like, what? can't teach your kids that you know um but then when we had gotten through that and had 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 some space where things were maybe not all the way back but really good before she told us she was gay and then when she called then that to me closed the gap up like that because i knew she needed me on her side i knew she needed me to support encourage and i was like all right what do you need girl i'm here for you and and still like all mother-daughter relationships, you, you're always working on uh you want the best for the other one. And we we have a, a wonderful relationship now. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it was uh it was a pretty difficult time. Yeah. Um I think it was more difficult for Nan than it was me, because you know, I was I was in the middle of lots of study and 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 right. I was starting to doubt. And I, I mean Both of you have been through the same thing that um, you don't really, this is me speaking, you don't really understand what it's like uh, to be on the other side of Mormonism until you're there, right? And so, you know, we didn't understand that at the time. You know, we didn't really understand what Sally was feeling and the rest of our kids were feeling, um, how hurt they were. You know, the pain that they had gone through in leaving the church, discovering all the things that they had discovered about the church. And most of them listed, at least in the CES letter, um, you know, not in great depth. But um, we didn't get that um, because we were faithful and we refused pretty much to to go there. You know, Um, we were you know, we weren't going to go read that stuff. You know, we weren't, we weren't gonna let the devil convince us that, okay, there's more out there um, than what the, uh, you know, than what we've been told by our authorities. So we didn't get that. And I, and I, you know, I, you guys, you guys understand that feeling um, that, you know, we were just unaware of how deeply they were hurt and how, how difficult it was for them to get through that experience we were thinking about ourselves basically, you know, we were, we weren't, we were thinking about, okay, this is our family. You, you, you're supposed to be in the church. Now you're apostatizing. We're right. You're wrong. And uh, yeah, we just didn't get it. But, you know, I think that's, you know, I don't think we're unique.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And our kids
2: have forgiven us.
1: (laughs) But, But once you guys, once you guys, did get out you said it's just been like a year that you've really been out you guys jumped out both feet and and really started doing some neat things afterwards uh can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now that, on the other sure. side of mormonism on that is as we all said so hard uh <laughs> yeah. what are you doing to make life more joyful
2: well uh we came home from china sally got married the next month we moved to utah the next month after that we had planned ahead of a couple of years before to move to utah and to try out utah now that we rod was retired and i wasn't working as a nurse and so we were planning uh to move out here but then in between that plan and the time we left the church so then we're like yikes is utah really (laughs) the best place for us it, probably not. And A valid concern, yes. yes. Yeah.
1: And Utah <laughs> County on top of it. <laughs> exactly. are right, in the heart of
3: Zion.
2: Yeah, so yeah. we were worried, but um my son Sam said, Mom, there are more post-Mormons in Utah than anywhere else. He said, if you chose any other place, you'll make friends, because I'm good at making new friends, but they won't have a clue how you're feeling inside and you will just have each other to go through this whole time of coming out and deconstructing and however long that takes, you'll be on your own. And he said, just try Utah. So we came out um, and we were only here a couple weeks and I got up all my courage and went to a post-Mormon meetup and brought Rod along and bam, they're Everyone was so nice. They told us about a Thrive meeting. We went to that the next week. The people there were so great. That has been a lifeline for us. Thrive has. We became friends with all the people who came to the Provo Thrive group. Um, there's a women's group called WACA that is uh, for women of Thrive, and I became part of that. And I just, I knew when I came to Utah, I was going to have to really be brave at. Putting myself out there that wasn't going to be like the church where you just walk in and you have all these friends. And I was going to have to come out of the things that are usually uncomfortable for me and say, okay, I'm I'm open to all new friends of people from all walks of life and to every, you know, differences. Let's go. And man, we feel so, so lucky. We have already have so many good friends. And it feels so good to be able to have honest conversations with with all of these new friends. You know, for that whole year we were leaving and for Rod, the year or two before that, when he was starting, all of our Mormon friends, you have to watch everything you say and be careful. And if you start to say, hey, I've been reading this, what do you think? Oh, you get shut down right away. So it felt so like like just a relief to be able to talk honestly and say, how did you get through this? And how did you feel about this? What do you even do on Sunday anymore? You know, what do you do with the money that you were paying for tithing and now you really want to do good with that money? But what do you do? Just all those things. And it has been really just more than we could have ever imagined. We are so happy we are here.
1: Have you heard of Thrive before you uh, went to Utah?
2: No, never a word.
0: Do you you um, want to
1: just say a little bit about what Thrive is for those who may not?
0: Not only did you attend, but then you just jumped in with both both of you and got involved promoting and helping others feel that inclusion and community. So, that I mean, hit the ground running, I think, is both of your middle
2: names. I mean,
3: (laughs) (laughs) certainly that's hers.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And um, Thrive, I believe the whole name is Thriving After Religion. And it is something John DeLynn started quite a while ago and handed over mostly to his friend, Clint Martin, um, who is the leader of our group in Provo. And they are there's a local group in many cities now. There's probably uh, 35 across the country and some in Europe where people meet once a month to just talk. It's a support meeting. It's a support meeting for people who are leading high-demand religions, specifically Mormonism, almost everyone, not not all, but most. And you um, sit in a circle. It's kind of like an AA meeting where each person goes around, talks about their journey, where where they're from, and where they are on their faith journey. And, And each person gets a chance to speak, and then you all talk to each other at the end, and everybody makes friends with somebody. So then you after a while, you might not need Thrive forever. You might feel fine and just have your own friends then. And that's kind of the purpose of it. So we're we're thrilled to be part of that. And now we said, okay, we're all in. I feel like Thrive uh, put our healing process on speed. Like, you know, you turn up a podcast to double speed so you can get through it twice as fast. I feel like Thrive did that for my healing of leaving the church and my deconstruction because I'm surrounded by people who are going through the exact same thing. They know just how I feel. They know just what to say to me. I'd go there, one time I just ended up crying there and boy, the support I got and everybody just loved me and said, it's okay, we've all been through it. It's really, I did not think I'd be in this place you know, this soon after leaving. I thought it would take me five years to get to where I wasn't sad every Sunday morning. And I'm already there. so.
1: And, and they have a lot of activities as well. We went to the New Year's uh,
3: gala dance. Oh, uh, yeah. and that, that was just a lot of fun. We uh, are sorry there. that we missed that one. Uh, yeah. We were down uh, in Southern Cal with our kids for the yeah. Christmas break. But yeah, we were really, we, we heard that was a wonderful event. Yeah. Um, there's,
2: a, there's a Thrive event coming up on March 18th called Thrive Unite, and that is a worldwide event where each city that has a Thrive group will meet for the day. And at one time, like at noon, we will all get on a Zoom call together. And everybody will get to say, hi, hey, how are you, Chicago? You know, three chairs for Omaha and all that stuff. So on Mar- if anybody's interested, they can contact me. And, um, and you're looking
1: for, you're, you're like a committee head or something, right? And yeah. You're looking for volunteers or yes, uh, I this am is something people could volunteer and, and participate in. I
2: would love that so much. If anyone wants to help in any way, we need help getting catering in for lunch, we need help with the microphones and the TV and all that stuff so that we can do that. There's a lot of ways that we need help, tickets and everything. So if anyone wants to help out, we'd be really happy. Yeah. And, and awesome. if, if you're not and in Utah
1: now. County, all the Thrive groups are doing the same thing and are probably, right. they, yes. they all are looking for help and people. So yes, uh, and you, where you're at.
2: If you are interested in Thrive and you don't know if there's somebody in your town doing that they can reach out to me because i've created a master list of every group that there is and who the contact person is and if they're having an event on that day to join us so i'm your girl call me
0: and and if there isn't a thrive group in your area i was um, part of a group putting together sort of curriculum and instructions to train thrive leaders you can start a group you can start something in your own area. So it really is. It's just taking off. Landon and I are helping with the Northern Utah County Thrive Group and also that day. And it's just fun. And it's a wonderful way, like you said, Nan, just to meet people working on a project. I mean, think about it in the church. The reason you got so close to people so fast is because you're running an organization, right? Everyone has a calling. You're instantly friends with all your primary presidents. You're this and that. It doesn't exist outside. You have to, like yeah. you said, make your own way. So Thrive and some of these other organizations are a way to, you know, make friends and community uh-huh. and help others and be there for people at different places. So, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: so we will put um, in the show notes all about Thrive, okay. um, the different, you know, websites, everything you can go to. But they it's a wonderful thing to, to participate in and to also help with, which is yes. excellent. So, yeah. Rob,
2: why don't you tell so, them about the circle? Oh, yeah. We, sure.
0: we, this yeah. is the other big thing they're yeah. doing, everybody. Yeah. This is excellent.
3: Yeah, we volunteer at Encircle House in Provo. Encircle uh, House is a, it's a, a refuge for uh, uh, marginalized kids, particularly LGBTQ plus kids. And they have a place for them to come and, and mingle. They have uh, classes in art in writing, and writing and other things that, uh, and the kids can come there and feel like they have a home it's a great place and it's been around for, for years now. Uh, and uh, we wanted to contribute somehow to the, you know, to that community. And so we, we volunteer for a parent meeting every week. Um, it's called Connect on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock in Provo. Uh, and we're just there for uh, anyone you don't have to be a parent, but, uh, anyone who's going through a crisis or just wants to come and talk about their experience with, uh, you know, with their loved ones who are, are queer.
2: Yeah, we, we fully support the encircle house and everything they're doing. Um, and there are other encircle houses, uh, in Utah and more getting built in even other States. So it's a, is a wonderful place that I believe is saving lives, giving these young people a place they get. They come right after school, um, hang out there. Somebody's there making food, somebody's helping with homework. Uh, they, you know, all of that. It, it is a great place for kids 12 up through college. So we have all ages. And at our weekly parent meeting, it's parent for parents and allies. And we get parents who walk in and just, they're like, oh, my kid came, told me last week that he was a girl and wants to be called this and we don't know how to do that. And oh my gosh, And we help calm them down and say, you're okay and we're going to help you. And we talk it through and we have lots of literature on how to go through these steps. And it's a, I think it helps a lot of people. All the programs there are really good. So I'd encourage anybody Who's interested in in contributing to that to helping that community to definitely reach out?
0: That's amazing, and and I think especially here in Utah, the other message is very clear a lot of times and very loud, not only to kids, you know, who like you said are at risk and at danger and in danger from hearing that, but parents who are told, you know, you can't accept your child or this is not right, and so parents and children need that absolutely to be able to communicate and understand that everything's good. It's okay. <laughs> so how would yeah. someone um, volunteer yeah. if yeah. they wanted to, um, I, would they just um, go to the
2: website again? We'll include all this. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe it's in circle together okay. is the okay. website and you can find them on Instagram and Facebook or just the website and I think they froze a little bit. There we go. There's always a link for volunteering. And there are different ways to volunteer. Even if you don't live there, there are ways you can help. And so, yeah.
3: I might, uh, I, I think it'd be interesting to add that in the midst of, you know, uh, all of this with our kids and Sally, um, this wonderful woman right here went through uh, breast cancer, and, uh, is a survivor. So, you know, good. through that whole thing, oh, my she has, uh, you know, she's endured that and gone through a faith crisis all at the same time. So, and she's fine now. She's great. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> had what, how many surgeries, like eight surgeries, but she's, she's in good shape. And the prognosis the is already, yeah, everything's good.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, we we thought Nan was a superwoman from the documentary, <laughs> and now that we hear more of the story in the different podcasts you go on and different uh, programs, like
3: yeah, so know. all that was going on at the same time. So that was a difficult thing for for Nan.
0: Wow, and for while. the whole family. Yeah, wow. That's years. So mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there is there anything that you would say? Like I said, I think you're you know you're just like you're the the post-Mormon parent, you're the you know, you just you're such a, a good example and role role model to everyone. Is there anything that you would say you talked about the differences kids not understanding where the parents are at, parents not understanding where the kids are at, whether one's out in, I mean, you've you've gone through all the different um, versions of this. Is there any advice that you would give to parents or kids? just trying to find a common ground and understanding because there's love. Everyone loves each other, but sometimes there's just a disconnect. And I think you guys have been able to navigate it just perfectly. And you've been on all sides of it, you know, hearing your kids are leaving, then you're leaving, you have kids out, you have every combination. So is there anything that you can speak to about that, that would just be helpful to either parents or children trying to come together and, you know, just focus on that love?
2: Yeah. Do you want me to talk for a sec? Sure. Um, I, I definitely would have all kinds of things to say because I was on both sides. Um, When, when um, somebody leaves the church, when your kid leaves the church or whoever in your family, they are, they are basically telling you that what you believe is wrong and that they are more evolved and they are enlightened or they're smarter or whatever and that you are not so I as a parent I felt very much like oh sure everything I've taught you now you're smart you're throwing it all away um and I felt not attacked but you know it was it was really hard and when and also when Sally came out as gay I didn't have a clue how she was feeling just like I didn't have a clue how kids were feeling when they left church and so I read things and I thought I was doing the right thing and I thought I was saying the right thing but as our relationship has gone along Sally and my kids have told me really mom when you said that that really wasn't the thing but we know you love us so we let it go and what I the single piece of advice I would say for the parents and the child or whatever relationship it is is just say What can I do for you? How would you like me to show my support, to show my love? Because we don't all know. I have a friend who called me in tears and said, when my daughter came out, I bought a pride pin. I've been wearing it all the time. Then four months, she came to me and said, oh, sure, mom, you just like all the attention you get from wearing a pride pin. You're not really doing that for me. When she thought she was doing it for her daughter. And I think there's a lot of things like that, um, that you think you're doing the right thing. And maybe that's not what your kid needs. This daughter did not want to be out and loud. She wanted to you know, stay soft. And, and Sally, on the other hand, she wanted us waving pride flags from day one. And she wanted us in the parade and doing all the things. So I think the biggest piece of advice were just to say, I love you. I support you. Please tell me what you would like me to do to show you that, and let and then whatever they say do, and let's even if you're the kid like Sally would say to me, Mom, here's what I need from you to show me, and then I could say to Sally after a while, here's where I feel a little left out of your new life. Here's what you could do to make me feel like I'm not an outsider now, and that would make me feel more included. And I really feel like if you can be honest with each other in sharing, here's what I could use from you. A lot of mistakes wouldn't get made, and people wouldn't have to go back and say, "Oh, sorry for all those things I said." Yeah,
0: a lot of apologizing.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Oh, that yeah, we, we, we
3: definitely, we definitely didn't do it right, at least the first time. Um, um, I think, I mean, you know, for me personally, what, what, what I would put out there is to realize, you know, if you're a, if you're an LDS parent, um, and your kid, uh, either wants to leave the church or tells you they, they're having doubts, um, or comes out to you as non-hetero in any way, um, Is to realize that there is a lot of pain on that side of the fence. You know, they are going through a lot of pain. And uh especially for you know a a kid that is queer, he's had a lot of pain his entire life, or she, um, or they. And um, they've had a ton of pain. And uh I just say acknowledge that pain and, and just say. I am sorry for what you are going through the pain that you're experiencing and just love them. And, um, they can think for themselves. And I, I think as parents, as LDS parents, like we were, we want to think for them. Um, I think we don't give our kids enough credit that, you know, they are their own individuals. They can make their own choices. Uh, we try to make the choices for them. And, um, These are thinking kids, uh, you know, especially this generation of kids who are, you know, they're they're much more in tune. They have they've had the Internet their entire lives. They're much more in tune with what's going on in the world um, where, you know, with other people, they have a lot more information in their heads than we ever did. You know, we had to go to the library, check out a book and, you know, if we wanted or talk to somebody um, in order to get the information we have, all they have to do is look on their phone and they have, you know, more information than they could, than they could ever digest. So these kids are clued in, um, and they are experiencing a lot of pain. And I think we made it too much about ourselves, uh, instead of making it about them. Um, when your kid is in pain, they're the ones that are experiencing pain. Of course, if you're an LDS parent, it's going to hurt you. Um, but uh, their pain, in my opinion, um, you know, you raise this kid. You've been through a lot more experience. Their pain should be more important than your pain. And uh, you should try to try to help them through that. However you can. And I think Nan gave good advice there. <laughs>
1: Well, I think we see why we uh, wanted them as guests. Uh, just uh, yeah. excellent uh, words of advice and and how to move on after after Mormonism. We really appreciate your time and and uh, took us a couple times to get together, but it all worked out in the end. Here,
3: <laughs> we, we we appreciate uh, you asking us to be on. Yeah, yes. No, nice. your
0: story is so inspiring and and just the way that you can understand these complex relationships between parents and children in so many different ways in in my situation my husband and I are out our oldest son left while we were in so we experienced that and now we have two younger kids mission and very active you know so our family isn't quite doing it right we just don't ask don't tell and don't talk so Uh I mean you know we get along on superficial levels but we don't ever go there to discuss those issues, you know, because a parent that's out, a child that's in, you feel like you're disappointing. So to hear this advice Uh, on, you know, love and communication, it's it's very inspiring. I mean it's difficult. You have to (laughs) I think you have to an area that maybe you know it's safe to don't ask, don't tell and don't talk. That's safer because if you go a little below, you're gonna hit those differences. But how inspiring to hear how you Mm -hmm. guys did that. You powered through. And look at this wonderful relationship that you have with your children. It's it's very inspiring.
2: I don't want to finish life and say, well, I lived a safe life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, That's not for me. No, we can
0: tell. And that makes it more meaningful. And I think the word you said earlier was authentic, you know, that now you can be yourself. You can have conversations. You can have friends that are authentic. And yeah. Rebecca,
3: you, uh, you know, you're doing what works for you. Oh, at this point, yes. At this point, You love your kids. And, and, uh, you know, we're all doing. I've always said, you know, when people ask me about my kids, I said, you know, I did my best. And uh, with what I had at the time, and I am not going to take any credit for the good things that my kids do. It's theirs. At the same time, I'm I'm not going to take any of the blame because, you know, I did my best. Um, they'll have to forgive me, um, for what I did, but, but I just did my best. So I'm not going to live my life, uh, regretting, uh, -hmm. you know, how I raised my kids. Yeah. I, I really did my best. I loved them as best I could. And I never, never once did I ever make a decision where I didn't want the best thing for my kid.
0: So and they know that so you know yeah. there it is that's all you can say and i also think when our kids get older <laughs> they'll understand more oh, right yeah. when they get to where you are they'll go oh i now understand yeah. that's yeah. why we say to them call me when you're 50 you <laughs> know just give me a call we'll have a talk so.
2: yeah in our
3: experience it's usually when they're you know almost 30
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, that yeah, brainstem yeah. connects. And it's like, oh, uh-huh. now I understand. So, wow. oh my goodness. Well, this has just been wonderful. Thank you for spending some time on Saturday morning. I hope you guys have some other fun stuff planned today to go do. Yes. And we will just say uh, thank you again. And signing off for Mormonish today. Go okay. live a joyful life on the other side of Mormonism. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.